Welcome to another edition of Focus on the Kingdom. This is Anthony Buzzard inviting you again to search the Scriptures with us as we continue with our investigation of Jesus' famous and favorite topic, the Gospel concerning the Kingdom of God. The reason for making this the subject of our series of broadcasts, as to say the Kingdom of God, is simply the fact that Jesus was concerned above all with the Gospel about the Kingdom. One can take a Bible, in any translation will do, to prove the point, and find out immediately that Jesus was concerned with one overarching topic, the kingdom of God. Open a Bible, for example, at Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. You'll find there that Jesus opened his public ministry by saying to his audiences, Repent, because the kingdom of God is at hand. He called it God's gospel. He said that the time was fulfilled and that people should reorientate their lives to a new horizon based on the fact of the approaching kingdom of God. Jesus did not say that the kingdom of God had come. He said in Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, that it was near or at hand. Now, that language about the kingdom of God being at hand is a direct reflection of the very same message in the prophets of the Old Testament when they announced that the day of the Lord was at hand and that people should prepare for that day with all urgency. Jesus is in the exact same tradition as the prophets of the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament. When he said that the kingdom of God was at hand, he was announcing the great fact of the future, which had been the subject of all prophetic announcement. God has a day of judgment, in other words, a day when his kingdom is going to be established on the earth and the issue for each one of us as human beings is simply this. Will we find a place in that kingdom? Will we inherit that kingdom, enter that kingdom, when it's established on the earth by Jesus at the day of the Lord? And the day of the Lord, of course, in the New Testament is the time of the second coming of Jesus. And his second coming is designed to inaugurate and initiate the kingdom of God. That's why Christians are urged to pray, Thy kingdom come. Matthew 6, verse 10, and in Matthew 6, 33, to seek first the kingdom of God and allow all other priorities in life to be secondary. We're to make the kingdom of God and a place in that kingdom when it comes our first priority for ourselves and our families. That's Jesus' direct command. And while we're talking about commands from Jesus, it must be obvious that his first command to us as Christians is to follow him. And what does that mean? Well, to follow his initial command in Mark 1, 14 and 15, that we are firstly to repent, that's to say to undergo a complete change of perspectives, to adopt a new set of priorities, and to focus our attention on the first and real priority of life, namely the good news about the kingdom of God. Our listeners might like to ask themselves, have you in fact reorientated your life to the kingdom of God as Jesus commanded there in his very first imperative. After all, if you believe in the Great Commission in Matthew 28, where Jesus said that the apostles were to go into the entire world and to relay every teaching that he had taught them, to teach the nations and baptize them and instruct them in the very same instructions which he had given to them, if you believe in that Great Commission, then it would make perfect logical sense to turn over one page to chapter 1 of Mark's Gospel and discover how Jesus 
first began to instruct those disciples, what was his initial command? Well, it was repent and believe in the gospel concerning the kingdom of God. Now, I have to tell you that the term kingdom of God was not the nebulous phrase it sometimes is today. The kingdom of God was about as well known as the Constitution or the Tower of London or the Olympic Games. It was the great event of the national future of Israel. It meant a time coming when God would ultimately and decisively reverse the fortunes of mankind under our present systems of government and by a cataclysmic revolutionary government introduce a brand new age of peace and order on this earth. But I want us to take careful note of this fact that coming world order of which Jesus spoke as the kingdom of God was never for one moment to come to be on the earth prior to his second coming. We're living in a time when men are desperately trying to create the kingdom of God for themselves. There are systems of theology now which really believe that the Christians are more or less going to take over the world this side of the second coming. Now, such a teaching needs to be examined most carefully in the light of Scripture. And I mean examined as the Bereans in Acts 17 verse 11 searched the Scriptures daily to see if what they were hearing was true. There's only one safe course for a Bible-believing Christian, and that is to examine carefully what he hears from the pulpit, from written message, and so on. Now, is this idea that Jesus envisaged the Christians taking over the world before the second coming really a biblical notion at all? I want to suggest to you that Jesus never for one moment imagined that the Christian church would triumph politically this side of the second coming. The very opposite is true. He expected his followers to be persecuted, to be marginalized, to be rejected largely. He never imagined that they would take over the reins of world government as some systems of theology are now proposing. Let me say to you that the church is not the same as the kingdom of God in the Bible. Now, such a fact is easily demonstrated in Acts chapter 1, verse 6, for example. You'll find that the disciples asked Jesus a most significant question. It was the last question they ever asked him before he departed from this earth to be at the right hand of the Father. In Acts 1, verse 6, the disciples said to Jesus, Has the time now come for you to restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus replied, It's not for you to know the times or the seasons which God has placed under his own authority. And he then went on to say that they would receive power as witnesses to the gospel. But the point we need to grasp here is a simple one. The coming of the kingdom and the restoration of the kingdom to Israel was to be a matter of time unknown. It was not known to Jesus or to the disciples when that time for the kingdom was going to come. And yet it's obvious that the church was a fact of the present at that time. We all know, for example, that in Matthew 16, verses 16 to 18, Peter there made a great confession about his belief that Jesus was the Messiah or the Christ. Those two words are interchangeable, by the way. Christ is simply the Greek form originally of the Hebrew word Mashiach or Messiah. And when Peter exclaimed with great joy his recognition of Jesus as the promised Messiah of the Hebrew Bible, Jesus replied by saying that it was on that rock foundation, that great confession 
of the Messiahship of Jesus that the church would be founded. Now, the church obviously then was being trained as Jesus trained the apostles. The church became publicly known in the book of Acts in a brand new way when the Spirit was poured out in great power. And so the church is clearly the society of the disciples of Jesus Christ as they prepare for the coming event, the return of Jesus to establish the kingdom. But the church is not itself the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God, as you'll find in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, laid out time after time, belongs to the age to come. Now, the good news or gospel about the kingdom, of course, is to be preached now. But the kingdom itself is the great event of the future. Listen, for example, to Luke 21 and verse 31. Jesus there warned that when the disciples were to see the great cataclysmic events marking the end of this age, then they were to lift up their heads and know that the kingdom of God was about to come. One simply has to take a Bible and read carefully through Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and every time you come to the word kingdom, say to yourself, what is being described here? In the vast majority of the kingdom texts you'll find that the kingdom is not something existing in the present, but the goal and the objective and the aim of the Christian faith. And the objective of our faith as Christians is not to go to heaven as a disembodied soul when we die, but to inherit the kingdom of God to be initiated and inaugurated when Jesus returns in power and glory to sit on his throne, as promised by all the prophets of Israel. A key passage in this discussion of the timing of the kingdom of God is found in chapter 11 of the book of Revelation. In Revelation 11, verses 15 to 18, we read that it's only at the seventh trumpet when that angel blows the last of a series of seven trumpets, it's at that moment that the kingdoms of this present world become the kingdom of God and of his Messiah Jesus. It's at that moment and not before that the Lord God takes up his reign in the kingdom of God. God at that time, using Jesus as his agent, his son, the Messiah, as his agent, exerts his great power to defeat the present evil systems of mankind and to replace present governments worldwide with his own worldwide dominion, the kingdom of God. It is to that stupendous event that the gospel about the kingdom beckons us with all urgency. Jesus was concerned with our destiny as human beings. Will we be found serving God and the Lord Messiah at that time? Or will we be found allied with the Antichrist, having been shamefully deceived into falling for his pseudo-Christian kingdom, his counterfeit kingdom? That's the issue that faces all of us as Bible students today, and it's essential that we give our full attention to this matter of defining the true idea of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is positively not the church. When we pray, Thy kingdom come, we're not praying, may your church come. We're praying for an event which has not yet happened, namely the arrival of Jesus in the power and glory of his kingdom. Simply substitute the word church for the word kingdom as you read through Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and you'll see that it makes no sense at all to equate the kingdom with the church. Now, it's true that in a very few passages in the Bible, we may think of the church now, the members of the church 
as the kingdom of God in training, that's to say the group who are preparing to rule with Christ in the future kingdom, but to equate the church one-to-one with the kingdom of God is to make a very considerable mistake of interpretation. So many books have cried out, so many scholars have protested against this popular idea that the kingdom is the same as the church, but it will not stand a careful investigation as any of our listeners can find for themselves by patiently working through the kingdom texts in the Bible and asking the simple question, am I reading here about the church when I read about the kingdom? For instance, in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 50, Paul said that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. That's to say, man as presently constituted as a human person must undergo a radical transformation of his body in order to enter the kingdom, to inherit the kingdom. It must be obvious from that verse that the church is not the kingdom of God. The kingdom is the event of the future for which we pray, Thy kingdom come. We urge our listeners to give full consideration to this issue of the kingdom of God because the kingdom is itself the heart of the gospel as Jesus preached it. Remember always that Jesus was the first preacher of the gospel, the initiator of the gospel. As Hebrews 2 verse 3 says most plainly, it began with the preaching of Jesus Christ and it was introduced, of course, by John the Baptist in connection with Jesus We invite you to request from us our free book on the kingdom of God. Use the telephone number to be given at the end of this program. Meanwhile, join us again as we continue with our investigation of Jesus' favorite topic, the gospel about the kingdom of God.